Chapter 5 of The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 5 of The Beast in the Jungle. He came back the next day, but she was then unable to see him and as it was literally the first time this had occurred in the long stretch of their acquaintance, he turned away, defeated and sore, almost angry, or feeling at least that such a break in their custom was really the beginning of the end, and wandered alone with his thoughts, especially with the one he was least able to keep down. She was dying, and he would lose her. She was dying, and his life would end. He stopped in the park into which he had passed, and stared before him at his recurrent doubt. Away from her, the doubt pressed again. In her presence, he had believed her. But as he to the explanation nearest at hand, had most of a miserable warmth for him, and least of a cold torment. She had deceived him to save him to put him off with something in which he should be able to rest. What could the thing that was to happen to him be, after all, but just this thing that had begun to happen? Her dying, her death, his consequent solitude, that was what he had figured as the beast in the jungle. That was what had been in the lap of the gods. He had had her word for it, as he left her, what else on earth could she have meant? It wasn't a thing of a monstrous order, not a fate rare and distinguished, not a stroke of fortune that overwhelmed and immortalized. It had only the stamp of the common doom. But poor Marcher at this hour judged the common doom sufficient. It would serve his turn, and even as the consummation of infinite waiting, he would bend his pride to accept it. He sat down on a bench in the twilight. He hadn't been a fool. Something had been, as she had said, to come. Before he rose, indeed, it had quite struck him that the final fact really matched with the long avenue through which he had had to reach it as sharing his suspense, and as giving herself all, giving her life, to bring it to an end, she had come with him every step of the way. He had lived by her aid, and to leave her behind would be cruelly, damnably to miss her. What could be more overwhelming than that? Well, he was to know within the week, for though she kept him a while at bay, left him restless and wretched during a series of days on each of which he asked about her only again to have to turn away. She ended his trial by receiving him where she had always received him. Yet she had been brought out at some hazard into the presence of so many of the things that were consciously, vainly, half their past, and there was scant service left in the gentleness of her mere desire all too visible, to check his obsession and wind up his long trouble. 
That was clearly what she wanted. The one thing more for her own peace, while she could still put out her hand. He was so affected by her state that, once seated by her chair, he was moved to let everything go. It was she herself, therefore, who brought him back, took up again, before she dismissed him, her last word of the other time. She showed how she wished to leave their business in order. "'I'm not sure you understood. You've nothing to wait for more. It has come.' Oh, how he looked at her. "'Really? Really?' The thing that, as you said, was to? The thing that we began in our youth to watch for. Face to face with her once more, he believed her. It was a claim to which he had so abjectly little to oppose. You mean that it has come as a positive, definite occurrence, with a name and a date? Positive. Definite. I don't know about the name, but oh, with a date. He found himself again too helplessly at sea. But come in the night? Come and passed me by? May Bartram had her strange, faint smile. Oh, no, it hasn't passed you by. But if I haven't been aware of it, and it hasn't touched me, Ah, you're not being aware of it. And she seemed to hesitate an instant to deal with this. You're not being aware of it is the strangeness in the strangeness. It's the wonder of the wonder. She spoke as with the softness almost of a sick child. Yet now at last, at the end of all, with the perfect straightness of a sibyl. She visibly knew that she knew and the effect on him was of something coordinate in its high character with the law that had ruled him. It was the true voice of the law. So on her lips would the law itself have sounded. It has touched you, she went on. It has done its office. It has made you all its own. So utterly, without my knowing it, so utterly, without your knowing it. His hand, as he leaned to her, was on the arm of her chair, and, dimly smiling always now, she placed her own on it. It's enough if I know it. Oh, he confusedly breathed, as she herself of late so often had done. What I long ago said is true. You'll never know how, and I think you ought to be content. You've had it, said May Bartram. But had what? Why, what was to have marked you out, the proof of your law? It has acted. I'm too glad, she then bravely added, to have been able to see what it's not, he continued to attach his eyes to her, and with the sense that it was all beyond him, and that she was too, he would still have sharply challenged her, hadn't he so felt it an abuse of her weakness 
to do more than take devoutly what she gave him, take it hushed as to a revelation. If he did speak, it was out of the foreknowledge of his loneliness to come. If you're glad of what it's not, it might then have been worse. She turned her eyes away. She looked straight before her, with which, after a moment, well, you know our fears. He wondered. It's something then we never feared? On this slowly she turned to him. Did we ever dream, with all our dreams, that we should sit and talk of it thus? He tried for a little to make out that they had, but it was as if their dreams, numberless enough, were in solution in some thick, cold mist through which thought lost itself. It might have been that we couldn't talk. Well, she did her best for him, not from this side. This, you see, she said, is the other side. I think, poor Marcher returned, that all sides are the same to me. Then, however, as she gently shook her head in correction, we mightn't, as it were, have got across? To where we are? No. We're here. She made her weak emphasis. And much good does it do us, was her friend's frank comment. It does us the good it can. It does us the good that it isn't here. It's past. It's behind, said May Bartram. Before... But her voice dropped. He had got up, not to tire her, but it was hard to combat his yearning. She, after all, told him nothing but that his light had failed, which he knew well enough without her. Before, he blankly echoed. Before, you see, it was always to come. That kept it present. Oh, I don't care what comes now. Besides, Marcher added, it seems to me I liked it better present, as you say, than I can like it absent, with your absence. Oh, mine! And her pale hands made light of it. With the absence of everything. He had a dreadful sense of standing there before her, for, so far as anything but this proved, this bottomless drop was concerned, the last time of their life. It rested on him with a weight he felt he could scarce bear, and this weight it apparently was that still pressed out what remained in him of speakable protest. I believe you, but I can't begin to pretend I understand. Nothing for me is past. Nothing will pass till I pass myself, which I pray my stars may be as soon as possible. Say, however, he added, that I've eaten my cake, as you contend, to the last crumb. How can the thing I've never felt at all be the thing I was marked out to feel? She met him perhaps less directly, but she met him unperturbed. You take your feelings 
for granted. You were to suffer your fate. That was not necessarily to know it. How in the world, when what is such knowledge but suffering? She looked up at him a while in silence. No, you don't understand. I suffer, said John Marcher. Don't, don't. How can I help at least that? Don't, May Bartram repeated. She spoke it in a tone so special, in spite of her weakness, that he stared an instant, stared as if some light hitherto hidden had shimmered across his vision. Darkness again closed over it, but the gleam had already become for him an idea. Because I haven't the right? Don't know when you needn't, she mercifully urged. You needn't, for we shouldn't. Shouldn't? If he could but know what she meant. No, it's too much. Too much? He still asked, but with a mystification that was the next moment of a sudden to give way. Her words, if they meant something, affected him in this light, the light also of her wasted face, as meaning all, and the sense of what knowledge had been for herself came over him with a rush which broke through into a question. Is it of that then you're dying? She but watched him gravely at first, as to see with this where he was, and she might have seen something, or feared something, that moved her sympathy. I would live for you still, if I could. Her eyes closed for a little, as if, withdrawn into herself, she were for a last time trying. But I can't, she said as she raised them again to take leave of him. She couldn't, indeed, as but too promptly and sharply appeared, and he had no vision of her after this that was anything but darkness and doom. They had parted forever in that strange talk, access to her chamber of pain, rigidly guarded, was almost wholly forbidden him, he was feeling now, moreover, in the face of doctors, nurses, the two or three relatives, attracted doubtless by the presumption of what she had to leave, how few were the rights, as they were called in such cases, that he had to put forward, and how odd it might even seem that their intimacy shouldn't have given him more of them. The stupidest fourth cousin had more, even though she had been nothing in such a person's life. She had been a feature of features in his, for what else was it to have been so indispensable? Strange beyond saying were the ways of existence, baffling for him the anomaly of his lack, as he felt it to be, of producible claim. A woman might have been, as it were, everything to him, and yet it might present him in no connection that any one seemed held to recognize. If this was the case in these closing weeks, 
it was the case more sharply on the occasion of the last offices rendered in the great grey london cemetery to what had been mortal to what had been precious in his friend the concourse at her grave was not numerous but he saw himself treated as scarce more nearly concerned with it than if there had been a thousand others he was in short from this moment face to face with the fact that he was to profit extraordinarily little by the interest may bartram had taken in him he couldn't quite have said what he expected but he hadn't surely expected this approach to a double privation not only had her interest failed him but he seemed to feel himself unattended and for a reason he couldn't seize by the distinction the dignity the propriety if nothing else of the man markedly bereaved it was as if in the view of society he had not been markedly bereaved as if there still failed some sign or proof of it and as if none the less his character could never be affirmed nor the deficiency ever made up there were moments as the weeks went by when he would have liked by some almost aggressive act to take his stand on the intimacy of his loss in order that it might be questioned and his retort to the relief of his spirit so recorded but the moments of an irritation more helpless followed fast on these the moments during which turning things over with a good conscience but with a bare horizon he found himself wondering if he oughtn't to have begun so to speak further back he found himself wondering indeed at many things and this last speculation had others to keep it company what could he have done after all in her lifetime without giving them both as it were away he couldn't have made known she was watching him for that would have published the superstition of the beast this was what closed his mouth now now that the jungle had been thrashed to vacancy and that the beast had stolen away it sounded too foolish and too flat the difference for him in this particular, the extinction in his life of the element of suspense, was such as in fact to surprise him. He could scarce have said what the effect resembled, the abrupt cessation, the positive prohibition of music perhaps, more than anything else, in some place all adjusted and all accustomed to sonority and to attention if he could at any rate have conceived lifting the veil from his image at some moment of the past what had he done after all if not lift it to her so to do this to-day to talk to people at large of the jungle cleared and confide to them that he now felt it as safe would have been not only to see them listen as to a good wife's tale but really to hear himself tell one what it presently came to, in truth, was that poor Marcher waded through his beaten grass, where no life stirred, where no breath sounded, where no evil eye seemed to gleam from a possible lair, 
very much as if vaguely looking for the beast, and still more as if acutely missing it. He walked about in an existence that had grown strangely more spacious, and stopping fitfully in places where the undergrowth of life struck him as closer, asked himself yearningly, wondered secretly and sorely, if it would have lurked here or there. It would have, at all events, sprung. What was at least complete was his belief in the truth itself of the assurance given him. The change from his old sense to his new was absolute and final. What was to happen had so absolutely and finally happened that he was as little able to know a fear for his future as to know a hope so absent, in short, was any question of anything still to come. He was to live entirely with the other question, that of his unidentified past, that of his having to see his fortune impenetrably muffled and masked. The torment of this vision became then his occupation. He couldn't, perhaps, have consented to live but for the possibility of guessing. She had told him, his friend, not to guess. She had forbidden him, so far as he might, to know. And she had even, in a sort, denied the power in him to learn. Which were so many things, precisely, to deprive him of rest. It wasn't that he wanted, he argued for fairness, that anything past and done should repeat itself. It was only that he shouldn't, as an anticlimax, have been taken sleeping so sound as not to be able to win back, by an effort of thought, the lost stuff of consciousness. He declared to himself at moments that he would either win it back or have done with consciousness forever. He made this idea his one motive in fine, made it so much his passion that none other to compare with it seemed ever to have touched him. The lost stuff of consciousness became thus for him as a strayed or stolen child to an unappeasable father. He hunted it up and down very much as if he were knocking at doors and inquiring of the police. This was the spirit in which, inevitably, he set himself to travel. He started on a journey that was to be as long as he could make it. It danced before him that, as the other side of the globe couldn't possibly have less to say to him, it might, by a possibility of suggestion, have more. Before he quitted London, however, he made a pilgrimage to May Bartram's grave, took his way to it through the endless avenues of the grim suburban necropolis, sought it out in the wilderness of tombs, and, though he had come but for the renewal of the act of farewell, found himself, when he had at last stood by it, beguiled into long intensities. He stood for an hour, powerless to turn away, and yet powerless to penetrate the darkness of death fixing with his eyes her inscribed name and date, beating his forehead 
against the fact of the secret they kept, drawing his breath while he waited, as if some sense would in pity of him rise from the stones. He kneeled on the stones, however, in vain. They kept what they concealed. And if the face of the tomb did become for a face for him, it was because her two names became a pair of eyes that didn't know him. He gave them a last long look, but no palest light broke. End of chapter 5 of The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James <laughs>